the pastor's family. Picture perfect children. Oh, you people are mean. Born of picture-perfect parents, living in a picture-perfect home. Behold the picture, the picture-perfect Pastor Poling's people. Me familia, my family. Just, just look at that family. Look at them smiling so sweetly, sitting so properly, standing at a... T- I even have a picture-perfect dog, people. I mean, come on. You want to see reality? This is reality. (laughs) We're all out of sorts, going crazy, dogs barking, no one's looking. Anything but perfect is our family, okay? But we know how to have fun. We are far from perfect. Understand, I married an imperfect woman. (laughs) Wait a minute, and she, I didn't finish. You people, get with it now. She married a very imperfect what? Man, and we have imperfect children, mostly because of their mother's side. But anyway, (laughs) no family is perfect, and no pastor's family is perfect. And there are times when we have to gather together in the family room, and we have to have one of those family meetings, or a come-to-Jesus meeting, okay? When we gotta, we got to address some issues and maybe adjust some attitudes, and, and we have to do some training in righteousness and practice both asking for forgiveness and offering forgiveness and taking it all to the Lord in prayer. No family is perfect. No pastor's family is perfect. And no church family is perfect. There are times for God's people to have a family meeting, a come-to-Jesus meeting, When attitudes need to be adjusted and behaviors need to be corrected and apologies need to be made and forgiveness needs to be offered, when relationships need to be reconciled, and though some of you are thinking, what's pastor talking about? What's going on in the church? I don't know! But there must be a reason why God's having me preach on this as we go through this passage. Because some of you need to have a come-to-Jesus meeting. Because you have not been the child of God you have needed to be. And that's exactly what Peter's going to do. He's drawing his children together, God's children, and he's calling for a family meeting. And if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter, he's calling this family meeting, and he knows that God's people need to know not only how to live in this world, they need to know how to live with one another, which is not always easy. Because we're all sinful and we're all fallen. And sometimes turbulence takes place among God's people. And we're continuing our series today in the book of 1 Peter, Turbulence, Fasten Your Seatbelt. He's been addressing turbulence outside the home. He's been addressing turbulence inside the home. We saw him teaching to wives, ladies, how to bring calm into your marriage because your marriage can be turbulent at times. We saw God's guys, God spoke to us, men, husbands, how to bring calm into your marriage because there can be turbulence in our marriage. And you may say, man, I miss those messages to the wives, to the husbands. Then get the podcast. It's free. Listen, watch the video. It's free. Get online. Go to our website. Get our church app. Just put it on there. Let God speak to you husbands. Let God speak to your wives to understand how to calm the turbulence in your marriage because we all have it at times. Well, now he's bringing us all together. 
And it's a time to apply God's word to everybody, not just husbands and wives, not just individual families, but to the family of God. Read along with me, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 8. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Family meeting time, calling everybody together, and this is what Peter says. I call you to take affectionate action. Say that with me. Take affectionate action. And he says, I want to sum it up. I want to boil it all down. I'm going to reduce it to its simplest form. I want you to focus on these five little words that will have such a very big impact. Five little words that will so impact your family and impact the family of God. And by the way, he says it's for all of you. This applies to everyone without exception. Men and women. Young and old. Leaders or laymen in the church. Every believer in the Lord, that's you, that's me, within the family of God. And it has lifelong application. To sum up, all of you be. So in other words, be and continue to be and never stop being and always be these five things. Because it's going to impact and change your family and the family dynamics of God's family. He gives these five acts of affection. The first one being harmony. Be harmonious. There are too many Christians that I believe that are out of tune. They don't harmonize well within the family of God. They, they selfishly screech. There's a prideful tone about their lives. You heard the choir this morning. Didn't they sound good? Man, they sounded good and they led us in worship. I didn't hear anybody screeching. There was harmony there. They were all together there. And what a difference it makes when they are all together. There are some Christians that just screech out their lives and they don't play well with other Christians. Screechers can upset an entire church family. Paul at one time had to address the Philippian church on this in Philippians 4.2. I urge Yodia and I urge Syntyche, say it with me, to live in harmony in the Lord. So you got these two ladies that were in the church that were going at each other's throats and they were, they were just upsetting the entire church. You mean two people fighting in a church can upset an entire church? Oh yeah. And how embarrassing, just a little bit embarrassing, when they got the letter in the mail from the Apostle Paul calling them out publicly in front of the entire church. And not only that, their names are recorded for all eternity in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, if God's going to record my name for all eternity, I don't want it because I was fighting with somebody in the church. And this is embarrassing, people. Learn how to play nice with other Christians. Swing, you know, sing sweetly and stop screeching. And by the way, you'll be called out if you can't play nicely with other Christians. You'll be called out in this church. Unity is a precious gift that God has given us here at Harvest. And we are going to protect it. As a matter of fact, very unfortunately, we've removed people from membership at this church at different times. Because they didn't play well with people. 
They were not harmonizers. They were screechers. Proverbs 22.10. Drive out the scoffer and contention what? It'll go out. Even strife and dishonor will what? You're a screecher. There's the door. We come together as God's family. We play nicely with each other. We talk nicely with each other. We act nicely with each other. As a matter of fact, God is no friend of troublemakers. Proverbs 6, 16, all the way through 19. He says, there's six things the Lord hates, seven which are an abomination to him. And he lists all these things and he rounds it out with number seven. Say it with me. And one who spreads strife among brothers. Don't be a troublemaker in the house of God. God hates troublemakers. Harmony is what God wants. Unity, in some translations, is what God wants. You may say, well, what does harmonious mean? It literally means same think. That's what it means. It means same think. Now, we're not talking universal agreement in everything. We're talking cooperation. We're talking unity, not uniformity okay? We're not talking allowing or permitting doctrinal heresy. That's not what this is about. There are rights and there are wrongs, but unity, cooperation is such a beautiful thing. It's a refreshing, pleasant thing. We see that in Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in what? In unity. It's, it's like the precious soil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, the high priest, coming down upon the edge of his robes. It, it's like the dew, that moisture on the mountain, the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. Unity is pleasant. Unity among God's people is refreshing. Unity was Jesus' prayer for his people in the high priestly prayer of John 17. The glory which you've given me, I've given to them that they may be one just as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Unity is an incredible testimony to the world around us, that God is among us. Unity is a common exhortation for the churches. We see this in Scripture. The Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 1, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I've been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there's what? There's quarrels among you. There's infighting and arguing and quarrels, and this is not how it's supposed to be within the body of Christ. It was the challenge and exhortation to the Ephesian church, Ephesians 4 being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You take this seriously. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. The exhortation of the Philippian church in chapter 2. Make my joy complete by being of what? Same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. It's the exhortation to the Corinthian church, the Ephesian church, the Philippian church, the Oswego church. And all the different areas and towns this church represents. It's the same exhortation. Harmony. Unity. Play well with each other. Be harmonious is the first word. Here's the second word. Be sympathetic. 
be sympathetic, not pathetic. There's too many Christians that are pathetic, not sympathetic. Some of us are pathetic when it comes to the feelings of other people. Mercy? What's that? It's like a foreign concept to some of us. We don't show mercy to people. Compassion or care? That doesn't compute. Uh, 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 Show pity or empathy? Please, they can get over it. That's pathetic, not sympathetic. Maybe what we need to do is we need to start equating sympathy with spirituality because if you don't show sympathy, you are not spiritual. If you don't show sympathy, you are not spiritual. As a matter of fact, it's commanded in Romans 12, rejoice with those who rejoice and what? Weep with those who weep. Enter into the pain and loss and sorrow of others and feel it in your soul. Don't just blow people off. 1 Corinthians 12, 25, uh, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members what? Suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So there's no, there's no room even for jealousy. When someone is honored, you rejoice with them. I love Job's testimony, the most godly man on the earth at the time. Job 30, 25. Have I not wept? For the one whose life is hard. You you know people whose life is hard. Was not my soul grieved for the needy? You see the needy. Let your soul grieve. You put yourself in other life situations. You partake in their joys. And you let your soul soak in their sorrows and their suffering. And feel what they are feeling. Enter into it. Maybe for some of you, it's time to go on visitation with me or the others that gather on Tuesday nights at 6.30. Maybe you need to come to the nursing home with me and walk the halls and see and smell reality. Lonely, hurting, suffering people. Maybe you need to come to the hospital and sit by a patient's bed. Interact with a child that's going through chemotherapy and that may lose their life. Maybe you need to look into the eyes of a severe burn victim. Maybe you need to watch someone who's lost a limb try to relearn life. Enter into the sorrow and the pain and the loss. Maybe some of us need a dose of reality to jumpstart our cold, calloused hearts because we think the world is all about us. We need to open up our eyes. Because this is a hurting world with a lot of pain. It goes beyond physical pain. There's there's deep emotional scars. Marriages being ripped apart by sin and children never the same. And families coping with seemingly senseless death. Why? They don't have an answer. We don't either. It's a fallen world. So many hurts, so many tears. Sympathy for others, sisters sympathy for others brothers sympathy for others that's what we're called to have now understand the apostle paul was one tough cookie he was tough but he had such a heart for the struggling and the fallen he had a heart for the imprisoned and ill-treated hebrews 13 3 Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated since you yourselves also are in the body. Why don't you write a note to somebody in prison? Why don't you go visit somebody in prison? Why don't you reach out to somebody in jail? 
heart for the weak, Romans 15.1. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those who are without strength and not just please ourselves. Stop getting your eyes just on you. There are people that are weak and they need us to come alongside of them. How about a heart for believers struggling in sin? Oh, they sinned, you just write them off, right? That's what an unspiritual person does. What does a spiritual person do? 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. Paul says, who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my what? Intense concern. He's saying, I'm seeing this believer in Jesus Christ walk away from the Lord, walk away from the church, walk away from the people of God, and it breaks my heart. So what does he do? He's reaching out. He's trying to grab them. He goes to them. You just don't let them walk away. What about someone who's fallen deep into sin? Galatians 6, brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, no matter who the person is, no matter how bad their sin is, you who are what? Spiritual. This is what the spiritual person does. The spiritual person, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of what? Gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so there's humility, so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. When you see a believer fall into horrible sin of any kind, you seek to restore them. You don't gossip about them on social media. You don't slander them in a group of other Christians. You don't say, oh my goodness, can you believe what they did? You go after them. And you sit down with them. And you talk about the grace of God. And you talk about the forgiveness of God. And you talk about the mercy of God. That's what you do. And you seek to restore them back in a right relationship with their God and with others. Why don't we start being spiritual instead of so judgmental? Augustine said it well. Nothing truly shows a spiritual man so much as the dealing with another man's sin. It's very revealing whether we're spiritual or not. Be harmonious. Wow, that'll change a family dynamic. Be sympathetic. Thirdly, be what? Be brotherly. Be brotherly. Treasure this family bond. Stick together, Christians. Support each other, Christians. You live in a world that just hates you and wants to beat you up. Stick together, Christians. Support each other, Christians. You are family, Christians. And as family, we need to practice brotherly love. It's a devoted love. Romans 12, 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. So have that strong commitment, that devotion that is unwavering. I'm committed to God's people. It's a continuous love. Hebrews 13, 1. Let love of the brethren continue. You don't stop it. Excelling love. 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 and 10. Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to what? Love one another. It's all over Scripture, love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, to what? Sell still more. Do more. Don't get satisfied with what you're doing for the people of God. Do even more. Serve even more. Help even more. By the way, some of you do squat for God's people. 
Some of you do squat. Just want to make sure you get your seat and your coffee and you're good to go. Let me tell you something. The kingdom of God is a little bit more about them than your comfort. God has given you gifts and he's given you talents and you better start using them instead of squandering and wasting your life. You come in here and you want to hear songs that you want to hear and you want to do what you want to do. It is not about you. You're about the family of God. That's what you're a part of. And God is tired of spoiled lot and little brats in his family. And you better get busy for the kingdom of God because you're going to die soon and me or somebody else is going to do your funeral. That's the reality of it. And you better make a difference now while you have a chance. Serve. Get involved. Be a part of the family of God. And practice brotherly love. It's a growing love. 2 Thessalonians 1.3 We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is fitting, because your, your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of, of, of each of you, of, 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 one, of each one of you toward one another, what does it do? It grows even greater. Have a growing love. A severe, a sincere, fervent, heartfelt love. Look at 1 Peter 1.22. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from what? The heart. This is a heart issue. Fervent love for other Christians is a heart issue. And it's a sacrificial love. 1 John 3.16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought also to lay down our lives for who? The brethren. You're called to sacrifice for other Christians. Give money to other Christians who are in need. Give time to other Christians who are in need. Give service to other Christians who are in need. That's what God wants to see within his family. That's what I want to see with my children. I want to see them loving each other and serving each other and caring for one another and being there for one another. And, and that's what I want to see. That's healthy. That's what our Father wants to see in our family. He wants to see you sacrificing for each other. He wants to see you caring for each other. He wants to see you loving each other. Be harmonious. Be sympathetic. Be brotherly. It's family meeting time. Be kind-hearted. That's the fourth thing. Be kind-hearted. It means fill your heart with kindness. A, a kindness that is overflowing and refreshing to other people. You know what kind hearts are like? Kind hearts are, are like a cool pool on a blistering hot day. How many of you have a nice cool pool that you can jump in on a hot day? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> Is there something beautiful about jumping in a cool pool on a hot day? It's refreshing. Do you know what kind people are? They're refreshing. You get around a kind person and they are refreshing. You get around a kind person and they're invigorating. That, that's, it's, just, it's just their kindness. It's so refreshing in a world that is so harsh and hateful and cruel kind people are refreshing and by the way proverbs 19:22 read it with me what is desirable in a man is his kindness so so remove this this heat of harshness remove the heat 
of harshness in your words and the harsh actions and the harsh attitudes. Some people are just oppressive and stifling, like a hot, humid day to be around. It's like, get me away from them. I need to get in the air conditioning. What are you like? What am I like? What are we like to be around? Are we like that heat and humidity and oppressive and stifling with our heated words and our harsh actions and our heated attitudes? Are we kind? Are people refreshed when they're around you and me? Are people invigorated when they're around you or me? God wants us to be kind-hearted. By the way, a kind person is a blessing to others as well as themselves. Proverbs 3. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. Make them a permanent fixture in your life. I am kind and I tell the truth. Wow, what a beautiful person you are. If you are kind and you are truthful. And it says this, so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. See, kind people receive favor. They receive favors from people. They receive favor from God. Kind people are given a good reputation. A good reputation from others and a good reputation from God. Be kind-hearted. Don't be hard-hearted or bitter-hearted or cold-hearted or closed-hearted. There's too many Christians that have hard, closed hearts. Too many Christians have these spiritually blocked arteries. They're clogged with prideful plaque and, and this buildup of bitterness over the years and anger and indifference has, has your made your heart hard. Maybe it's time for open heart surgery. And for some of you, you've come into the operating room and you didn't even know it because you have a heart problem. You've got the plaque of pride just all over you. And you've got this buildup of bitterness and anger and indifference toward people or somebody. And God is saying, you're about ready to have a spiritual heart attack. You need to get to my house and you need to get to the operating room. And the word of God is going to be a sword that's going to pierce you today. I, God is saying, I need to put a spiritual stent in you. I need, I need the angioplasty of, of my word to just balloon out your arteries so that your heart is healthy again because you're not spiritual healthy right now. You need to start with that roto-rooter of repentance. And you need to call out to God and ask him to forgive you. Forgive you of your pride. Forgive you of your condescending attitude. For, forgive you of, of that selfishness, that hardness, that bitterness, that anger. You need to call out to God and start there. He's brought you into the operating room today for a reason. Be harmonious. Be sympathetic. Be brotherly. Be kind-hearted. Here's the fifth word. Humble in spirit. You may say, that's not one word. It is in the Greek. Bleh. It's one word in the original. Humble in spirit. In other words, there's no place for a spirit of pride among God's people. No place for a spirit of arrogance or ego or self-absorption. Get the chip off of your shoulder. What is humility? 
It's this, having or showing a low estimate of one's own importance. It's modest, reserved, unassuming, it's meek. It's humbly associating with others, not being arrogant toward anyone. That's what it is. And sadly, some of us are arrogant here. We look down our nose at other people. You're older, so you look down your nose at that snot-nosed teenager who thinks he knows everything. You're a teenager. You can't stand those old people. Well, they're black, and they're Hispanic, and they're white. Yeah, there's racism all over the place. You just look down your nose at somebody because they live on the wrong side of the tracks. They're a blue-collar worker while you're the white-collar. And you blue-collar workers say, no, those white-collar workers don't know what they're talking about. And you just look down your nose at people. What does God say? Romans 12, 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, proud, egotistical, arrogant. Associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. God is saying, I am sick of your condescending attitude looking down at other believers. There's no place for that among the people of God or in the family of God. Boy, if there's anything that gets me going is when one of my kids treats another one of my kids in a poor way. Who hold me back? Can I tell you something? God is not happy. When you dare look down your nose at another one of his children, because they are not exactly like you. He's ticked. You know what we need? We need a spirit of humility in a lot of different areas. We need a spirit of, of humility no matter how smart we think we are. 1 Corinthians 8.1 Knowledge makes what? Arrogant, but love edifies. There are some people, boy, there's a danger of knowledge and knowing. They are just so arrogant because they know so much and they've read so well read and they do this and everything and they just look down their nose. Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for who? For a fool than for him. God says egotistical people so full of themselves with their knowledge are nothing but fools. That's what they are. We need a spirit of humility no matter how smart we think we are. We need a spirit of humility no matter how strong we think we are was said of King Uzziah in the Old Testament. Incredible, great military genius and strength. In 2 Chronicles 26, when he became strong, his heart was so proud, he acted corruptly, and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. That's where a focus on our strength will take us. Pride and unfaithfulness to the Lord. Spirit of humility, no matter how smart or strong we think we are. Spirit of humility, no matter how much money we may have. Self-satisfaction can lead us to pride and forgetfulness. Hosea 13, 6. And as they had their pasture, they became satisfied. And being satisfied, they became proud. And they forgot what? Me. God says, yoo-hoo, you forgot all about me. Deuteronomy 8, similar fashion, verse 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and you've built your good houses, you've got your big house now, and you've lived in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply, oh, you've got everything you want. You've got the nice fancy car. You've got all the clothes, jewelry. And your silver and gold multiply. You've got money in the bag. You just don't know what to do with it. I'll help you out with that. And all that you have multiplies... 
then your heart will become what? Proud. And you will forget the Lord your God. Oh, be careful. I got my big house, and I got my vacation house, and I got my cars, and I got this, and I got that, and wow, look at me. I'm a self-made man. No, you are not. You have forgotten Deuteronomy 8.18. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who has given you the power to what? He gave you that. And don't you forget it. James 1.17. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from where? Above coming down from the Father of lights. He has enabled that. He has blessed you with that. He has given you that. And may you never forget, generosity is what will guard your heart from pride and from falling away from God. 1 Timothy 6, 17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world. And you say, well, that's not me. I'm not rich. Give me a break. You're richer than most of this world. Everybody in here, including myself. Every single one of us is rich compared to the rest of this world. Every one of us. So don't write yourself out of this verse, baby. We're all there. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on who? God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So it's come from his hand. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. You know what God says? You better learn to share what I've given you. You better learn to give what I've given to you. You want to guard your heart from greed? You start opening up your hand and giving. That's how you guard your heart from greed. And then you start taking hold of what life is really all about. Because life is not about accumulating. Life is about giving. Spirit of humility, no matter how smart or strong or how much money you think you have, spirit of humility, no matter how confident you might be of tomorrow. Proverbs 27, 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. James 4, 13 and on. Come now, you who say, well, today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a city. We're going to spend the year there. We're going to engage in business, and we're going to make a profit. Oh, really? <laughs> Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a what? You're a vapor. Appears for a little while, then gone, vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, say it with me, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Stop the arrogant boasting. Well, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to build that. My business is going to... No, it's arrogant. If God wills, I will do this. I'm just a vapor. If God wills, we will go there. I'm just here for a minute, an instant. If God wills. Now, God does permit boasting. God does permit bragging. But in a very specific way. Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24. Read this verse with me. Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not a mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches, 
But let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. No more boasting on your smarts, your wisdom. No more boasting on how strong you are. No more boasting on your wealth, or your money, or your possessions. God says, you know what? You're gonna boast on anything or anyone. How about you start including me in it? Some of you never talk about God anyway. You never bring God up in any conversation, let alone boast about him. God is wondering when you're going to start bragging on him, the one that has created the stars and named them. When are you going to start bragging on your God, the one who saved you from your sin and called you as his own child? When are you going to start bragging on your God who answers your prayers and meets your needs and does incredible things? When are you going to start bragging on God and his mercy and his grace and his power, his goodness, his love? When are you going to start bragging on God at work instead of being ashamed of him? When are you going to start bragging on God at family get-togethers and tell him what God has done and tell him how big God is and tell him how wonderful God is? You know, you have no problem bragging about the Cubs. You have no problem bragging about the grandkids, showing them the ribbons. You have no problem bragging about that business deal and what you sold or the connection that you made. You have no problem bragging about all these other things. And God is saying, Yoo-hoo! there ain't nobody like me. When are you going to start bragging on me? When are you going to start telling people about you and me and our relationship? When are you going to start telling people about my qualities, loving kindness, justice, righteousness. When are you going to start bragging about the only one that deserves to be bragged on? Your God. Why don't you go out of here determined to start bragging on your God and how wonderful he is. Boast in your relationship with God and boast in your God. That's what we need to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time and this one little verse this morning. And we ask that you would help us to work on being more harmonious and sympathetic and brotherly and kind-hearted and humble. And forgive us of our sins. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Just talk to the Lord right now. Ask him to help you with that relationship with another believer that's been at odds. Ask him to do some heart surgery to help remove that bitterness and that anger, that callousness. Ask him to help you understand the importance of serving You're a brother in Christ. 
Talk to the Lord about these things. Confess any sins that you need to confess. And recommit to your God that you will not forget him. But that you will understand life is about him. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. You may be here today. And God in his sovereignty has brought you into this place and you weren't even planning on coming. You need to know that there is a God and he is real. That he knows your life inside and out. He sees all of the sin you have been involved in. And he still loves you and he wants to forgive you, and he wants to save you from that sin. And you may say, Scott, that's me, and I need God in my life. What do I do? In the quietness of your heart right now, I want you to call out to him in faith. He'll hear you. He knows you. In the quietness of your heart, just use words like these. Lord God, please save me. Lord, please forgive me of all my sin. I'm sorry for all the wrongs that I've done. I repent. I turn from my sin. And I turn to you. I place my faith in you, Lord, to save me. I can't save myself. I place my faith in Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. There's no good deeds that can get me into heaven. Only you can get me there, Lord. Forgive me, I pray. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.